Uh, so Brynn and I, my wife, have been on a tough uh, financial run, to be honest with you. And hopefully some of you, I think Brandon was praying for me, um, but I, I hope some of you uh, prayed for me. I mean, we, so we're having a baby, and so there's like financial stress there, and we did our best to just pay like the bills we can pay up front uh, really quick. But every month it was like, well, we have less money than we're used to having. And then we broke a record. I talked about this last week, but we had three cars die on us in two weeks. So we broke that record, and that doesn't make you feel good about your finances. And uh, this week I had a, a bill come up that I didn't expect and, uh, and got rid of those two cars, so there was a little help there. Um, but then, uh, then our dog got sick, and so we've spent this week, I've put, uh, and we don't even know what's wrong with him yet, this is what makes this kind of humorous, but we put like $500 into my dog this week, and still, all know, he just has a fat leg um, at this point, that's all we know, and we knew that before we spent the $500 uh, on the dog this week, and uh, and so, and, and so I'm just looking to the future. It's like uh, we're going to have a baby, and I hear that they cost money. Um, trying to figure out how not to make that happen. Uh, and then also my wife is going to go on maternity leave, and so we'll drop, you know, 15% of our income because it's not taxed. But, but we'll, get, we'll drop 15% in income, and, and it's like, whoo, we were supposed to be saving money, you know, kind of leading up to the baby, and that was kind of the plan. And instead we're just spending money, and I don't have anything new to show for it. You know, I mean, uh, no good at all. Uh, and this week, more than any that I can remember in a long time, it would have been really nice to be rich. I mean, it would have been so good just to have a pile of money and, uh, you know, it would have made the whole vet thing simpler and we wouldn't have had to, you know, think before we acted and what are we going to do here and it, it would have just made, and I would have a new car, that would be a whole different deal, you know, uh, I would have I liked, it would have been nice to be rich this week or at least, you know, kind of rich uh, and I think we all feel that at certain times in our life, unless you're rich. And then give more money to the church and I can become rich too. Just kidding. I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, we feel that. If, if we don't have a ton of money, we feel like I just this week, you know, in this spot because this happened, because I had this unexpected thing that I couldn't have planned for, it would just be nice to have a lot of money. I mean, it's incredible how many people have to like file bankruptcy and run up credit card bills that were good financial, and then some type of doctor bill came, big doctor bill, and it just ruins them for the rest of their lives. And we think, oh, I wish they were rich, you know, I wish they had money. I wish that they just had a pile of cash sitting around. And when car things happen, I mean, that's the worst, right? Because it's going right along and you can't plan for it and then bang and, and then all of a sudden you need some more money and it's like, well, we got to get the car fixed because I have a job uh, and if I just don't get it fixed, I can't have the job anymore and if I was rich, I wouldn't have to have the job or the, the bill because I'd go get a new car, you know? And we have these moments where it's just like, I, I wish I had more money. The doctor, our vet, wanted us to pay another five to $600 for an ultrasound. And, you know, I would, I, I would, I, you know how much I like my dog if you've been around. I like him more than I like, you know, most humans. And, uh, and I, I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to say yes. And I'll just pause in my sermon and say, uh, it turns out from talking to a couple other people that it probably wouldn't have shown anything anyway. So, so that worked out just fine. But, it, but in the first few moments, it was like, I just wish I had, you know, $600 laying around, but uh, I had three cars go bad in you know, two weeks, and, uh, and I want 
more money. And you feel this same tension that I think I feel. And uh, today we're going to return to a sermon series we started uh, a long while ago now. And I, uh, I got sick uh, during the sermon series and so I actually missed one of the sermons. And we combined with another church and had church, which I hear was cool. Uh, I was laying at home not trying uh, they're trying to feel better, and it, it was interesting because when I listened this week to the, the first sermon in the series to see how I had set it up because I didn't want to contradict myself or anything, I was sick during the first sermon too, and you can tell, I, I gave everybody my temperature, 101.8, uh, and so I wasn't feeling good, I must have stayed sick a while, uh, and, and so I missed one of the sermons in this series on greed, and, and I wanted to return to it because my favorite passage in the series that I was going to do was, was this passage that we're going to look at today, because I think it's just so like countercultural and goes against what we think about and what we talk about, even in Christian circles when it comes to money, and so I, I, I want to look at this passage, and, and so we're returning to the series, and we'll do one more next week because there's another passage that I think is really important, but when I set this series up uh, eight months ago or whatever it was, I talked for like 20 minutes about why we're, the reason we're not doing this series. There's other reasons, but the reasons we're not doing this series. And so just briefly, I want to just point these two things out, because especially if you're a visitor and you're here and you're like, oh, they're like, just want my money, you know? Uh, so two reasons that we aren't doing this, or these are not the reasons for, for me having this sermon today. The church is in no financial crisis whatsoever. You need to know. So there is no financial crisis here. We came out in the black last year. We have a goal of, uh, of a budget this year that we'll work towards, and we just set that goal, and so it's not like we're up against the clock and we're like, oh no, we better preach on money this Sunday, you know, I mean, because that happens in churches, I've been at churches where they get up and they start, it's a very bad introduction, um, but like, we're having a money problem, now let me tell you what the Bible says, and you stopped listening at money problem, right, I mean, kind of, it's like, well, I don't really care what the Bible says, because you just want my money, that's how we feel, and so that's not this, um, in fact, today's sermon there is no push, there's no point that says you should give money to the church or ministry or to anybody else. That's not a part of this sermon today at all. I mean, that's a thing and you should do that and we believe if you're part of this church, you need to give to this church to support what we're doing and be a real part of this church. But that's not like, that's not even a point today. And the other thing is, because this is in a lot of people's heads, especially non-Christians, like... I'm not giving this sermon today because I want more money personally. Uh, last year when I said this, I said there was no financial crunch, but that would be a lie this week. Um, and so, I mean, I could use a new transmission. Um, but I, I just got a 3% raise at the church, and, uh, and, and I have my set salary. And no matter what you do in the offering basket at the end of the day, there's no extra money in my pocket. If you walk up and hand me money, then sure. But that's really not going to be the point of the sermon. And so, so I... What I hope, and the reason I say that is because I know, I know that when the word money is said, in any setting really, then people just become uncomfortable, but especially when the word money is said within the context of church, then people just jump to this mindset of like, well, you want more, or you're greedy, or you have a problem, and you need my help, and you just want me to have less money, and yeah, you know, and, and you just shut off. And so today, if you make those excuses, well, this church just wants my money, or there's a financial crunch, or that pastor is just greedy, then you're just going to be making an excuse. And to add to that, this, this series uh, is part of like 
a seven-year series that we're doing uh, where we do once a year, we just do one of the seven deadly sins. And we cover one of the seven deadly sins. And for me, I don't know about for anybody else, but for me, preaching these series, this is the third, have been actually the most important sermon series for my own spiritual life that I've preached. And we've covered gluttony and we've covered laziness and, and here we're, we're finishing up greed. And, and in all of these, I've just... I've been blown away because sometimes, you know, as you grow in your Christian faith and you move forward and you feel pretty good about where you are, that, that when I've done these series, I've just been left going, I have so much to work on that, that nobody had ever preached a sermon to me about, I hadn't really noticed in the Bible. And, and so this is just a continuation of that. Now, here's the thing. We define greed, and you need to know it again. Greed is simply, if you kind of take a holistic look at the Bible, greed is simply uh, placing a desire for money over your relationship with God. It's really just saying, I'm going to be more about money than I'm going to be about God. And, and I'll just give you a couple of ways that you might, you know, kind of be able to see if you have a greed problem. Uh, let me ask you this question. Would you be happier tomorrow if you heard that you had won the lottery or if 10 people became Christians? What would, what would get you excited? What would you call somebody about? What would you post on Facebook? What would, what would pump you up? That's one question. Uh, here's another one. Here's another one. If, if as soon as you saw that video and the word greed and, and the pictures of money came up on the video, did you go, oh, no, he's going to teach about money in the Bible, and it might cost me some money? Because if you really go... I don't want to know what the Bible says about money because I don't want to have to lose some of my money, then you probably have a greed problem. And so whether you'd be ex more excited about the lottery than, than people becoming Christians or whether you go, oh no, I don't want to know what the Bible says about money because then you know, it might cost me some, then you probably have fallen into, in some way, the trap of greed. Now, let me put two things together. One, I think we feel this tension to sometimes just want to be wealthy because we have these problems and these issues and these struggles and these financial difficulties that arise. Whether we created them or whether, you know, we didn't create them, they, they come up. And then on the other side, we have this, this thing where, where I've just said that being greedy is not just, you know, rich people who want more money, but instead being greedy is just putting putting money ahead of your relationship with God. And I think in this passage we're going to look at that these two kind of tensions come just right smacking together. And what we're going to see in 1 Timothy, what Paul writes to this guy named Timothy, is basically saying, look, it's all about, if you want to conquer greed, it's all about your attitude and what your focus is on and what your emphasis is on in your life. It's all about what you desire the most. And he's going to set this up with godliness or with money. And he's going to say, this is just to be, he's going to say something that I think is so different than what we, than what we talk about or what we think about. So 1 Timothy 6, 6, this is where it starts. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You see, Paul in verse 5 and just a little bit before that is talking about this group of preachers who have showed up on the scene and they are preaching and they are teaching in the church because they want more money. 
And you go, I knew that already. That's how all pastors are. And I want to point out one more time, because I did this eight months ago or whatever, that just about every pastor I know is highly underpaid. And, and so if your vision of a pastor is somebody who's in it to get money, then you need to stop watching TV pastors, because they're the only ones who are in it for money. The rest of us, I'll just be honest with you, we can make far more money given the responsibilities that we have on a weekly basis doing anything else, it seems like. And, and so, so, but, but... Paul was dealing with some televangelists, some guys that, you know, were like the TV people who were just in their fancy suits and they showed up and they preached great sermons because they wanted to take people's money. And so Paul turns to Timothy, who's a pastor, a young pastor, and he says, but on the flip side of that, let me tell you how you can, how you can really gain in life. And he says it's two things added together, and this is really fascinating. It's godliness plus being content financially with what you have. Now, this word content means something to the effect of a person satisfied with what they have. And this is interesting to me if you like the history part of things. In Stoic philosophy, the word was used for an ideal. And the ideal was, was that you were independent of your external circumstances. And so when Paul uses the word, he doesn't mean like you're rich, so it doesn't matter what happens. What he means is that the way you kind of feel about life and your situation in life and what's going on in life it is completely disconnected from how much you actually have. And so when Paul uses the word content, he's saying that no matter what bills come up and no matter what financial struggles and no matter what surprises land on your lap and you have to figure out how to pay for them, you inside and your feelings are satisfied with where you're at in life. So notice this is huge. This is what Paul says, that if you are working to live a godly life, striving to be obedient to what God has called you to be obedient to the, in the Bible, and, and you are content with what you have, financially speaking, this is when you are going to see gain. Now, he leaves that very vague, and a lot of people just kind of, because it's the Bible, I think, they're just like, well, it's spiritual gain, and I don't think it's financial gain. I don't want to give that impression, but, but it's just, I think it's just this kind of idea, like people use this as a hashtag now, they put like winning, you know, and it's like when you're just kind of succeeding at life, and you're moving forward in life, and, and I think what Paul's getting at here is if you really want to move forward in life, if you want to grow spiritually, and grow socially, and, and, and kind of have the life that you want to have, then, then what you need to put together is a, an, a desire and an effort to do what God has called you to do along with being satisfied with what you have, being satisfied maybe despite what you don't have. And if this is huge. If you will put them together, then you will move forward. Now, to, to my Christians in the room, I think a lot of times we get like really stuck in our relationship with God. That happens. One of the reasons I preach to help you get unstuck and I think sometimes when we get stuck that maybe it's because we're like, I really want to be godly and I'm striving to be godly and I'm working to be godly. But maybe, according to Paul, there's this other side of us where we are not content with what we have financially. And Paul says that if you want to move forward, it takes both. It takes, I'm going to live for God and I'm going to be content with what I have, satisfied with where I'm at in life financially. That's big, right? Like, no, Has anybody ever said that to you in church? Maybe they have, but nobody's ever said like, hey, big part of the Christian faith is just being satisfied with what you already have. And then Paul gets like super duper practical. 
He says in 1 Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. It's like, you're like, well, I don't want to be content because I don't have enough. Paul can hear you, right? Like he can hear you 2,000 years early. I, I just, I, I want more stuff because I have bills and because of my car and because of my dog, I want more. And Paul's like, well, well time out. Recognize that when you came into the world, you had nothing. And when you die, you will also not have anything. George Strait, singer, king of country, actually, uh, he, he said it in the most profound way possible. He, he, he said, you don't bring nothing with you here, and you can't take nothing back. I ain't never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. Right? Like, that's pretty profound if you can get past all of the, like, stereotypical country music language. Um, th- then he says something really pro- profound, and, and, and you've probably heard this joke, and I don't want to tell it because it's not that good of a joke, and I try to avoid corny preacher humor, but, but you've heard the joke of the guy who like wants to, to take a suitcase of gold with him and he begs the angel who's taking him to heaven. He's like, just let me take one bag of gold with me to heaven. And he gets to heaven's gate and Peter's there and Peter says, hey, uh, you can't bring luggage in. The guy goes, I got special permission. And, and, and then he's like, well, what is it? And he opens it up, this bag of gold. And Peter says, why are you bringing concrete? You know, like you're not going to need it in heaven. See, it's a corny joke. And if I set it up as a not joke, then it works a little better, I think. And I, so I can tell you the joke and not look like I thought it was funny. Um, and then I saw this as I was studying and I thought it was really profound. Uh, just It was about a guy talking to somebody else and he, he said, the guy talking said, my uncle died a millionaire. And the guy's like, well, no, he didn't. And, and the nephew was like, yeah, he did. And the guy's like, well, who has the money now? And he's like, not him. And, and you know, like, you, you don't die a millionaire. Nobody's ever died a millionaire. You know, your last breath, you might have been a millionaire. But then somebody else is a millionaire because you're dead. And you go into the grave. And I've never heard of anybody burying a million dollars with a person because it was their money. You know, we just, your relatives will fight about it and pretend that you never existed. I mean, that's what we see. Uh, and so, What Paul says, we already know it. I mean, we know it in pop culture, and we know it theologically, and we know it just practically. Like, it's not going to be here anymore. You're going to die, and then you're not going to be a millionaire. You're not going to have these things that you long for. And so, therefore, this is what Paul's getting at. You might as well just be content with what you have. Because you had nothing, and you won't have anything. Or you ain't have nothing, and you ain't going to have nothing someday if you're doing it country music style. That's what Paul says to us. And then in 1 Timothy 6, 8, he says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And I ask this question, is there anything less true of American people than that statement? Is there anything less true uh, about who we've become as Americans than if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And then I'll even ask this, is there anything less true of American Christians even than that statement? And if you call yourself a Christian, this is in the Bible that you, you, know, you so wholeheartedly subscribe to and you yell at people when they discredit it and, and you get mad at people on Facebook when they go against it. But, but like, if you have food and clothing, are you content with that? Are you satisfied? Are you okay? Are you comfortable with just having food and clothing? I mean, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
And then 6.28 of Matthew, he says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spend. And the promise in the Bible is that if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, then God is going to provide you the things that you need. Now, if you're not a Christian, there's no promise there. No promise for you that God is going to make sure that you have food and clothing. You're out on an island alone. But if you're a Christian, there's a great reason to be a Christian. I think there's about a billion. But if you're a Christian, we have the promise that our food and our clothing and our shelter is going to be there when we need it to be there. And so Paul says, hey, here's the deal. You don't need to be worried about having all this other stuff. You don't need to worry about, you know, being rich. Because at the end of the day, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're going to have what you need. And the reality is, if we want to grow, if we want to move forward, if we want to gain, then what Paul is saying is that, A, strive to be obedient to God, strive to follow what he has called you to do, and one of those things is to say, okay, I am satisfied, I am okay, I am content with what I have or what I don't have in some of our cases. That's what Paul's getting at. And then... This is, this is the biggest statement. This is why I wanted to preach this sermon on this passage because the next verse, nobody has ever said this to me. And in fact, I say things I, I have said until this week when I really felt like getting rich. I tried to avoid saying things that were contradictory to this because I was preaching on it. Really weird week to be preaching this sermon. Uh, but, but this is, the, verse 10, super famous. Verse 9, nobody ever talks about it. Listen, just listen. You don't even need me to preach about this, but just listen to this. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10 is going to say, you know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and you may have heard that before, and it's so easy. Isn't it so easy to go, I don't love money, I just want it. But... Nobody told me verse 9 was here. Because verse 9 quite clearly says that if we, notice the word, want, want. Not if we're super rich and we're loaded and then, you know, more money, more problems or whatever. I mean, it's not like that. I mean, if you want, want, desire to get rich, then you fall into a temptation and a trap and in a many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Proverbs 23, 4, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Proverbs, apparently, the writer of Proverbs knew this was a problem. Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Not because they're rich, but because it's going to lead them in a variety of ways. And notice the word eager. It doesn't say the rich person will be punished. It says that the person that wants to get rich will not go unpunished. And, then, and this is mind-blowing. Luke 12, 20 and 21. Jesus is telling this parable called the parable of the seeds. And he's talking about how like the, the gospel, the story of himself, how he died and rose again so that your sins can be removed, how it falls in different places people's lives in different ways and how some will accept him because of the soil and how some will reject him because of the soil of their hearts is bad and then he says um the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful 
And then Jesus again in Luke 12, 20 through 21, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich for God. He's talking to a guy that just wanted to be rich and he just worked to be rich and then he stored it all away and said, look, I'm rich now. And he says, you're a fool because you're gonna die and then somebody else is going to get your stuff. Are you seeing the theme? Because we have this mentality I think we have this real mentality that the super rich are bad, but that we're okay just wanting to get rich, just wanting to get there. And what Paul and Jesus and the writer of Proverbs are saying to us is that you run a very dangerous risk if you have a desire to get rich. Mind's blown. Right? You don't even like it because you kind of, you're like, well, I kind of want to want to get rich, you know? I mean, like, that's kind of stupid. Let's just skip to verse 10 and I'll tell you, I don't love money. I just want a lot of it, you know? I mean, that's so much easier. But, but this, this is what Paul says. If you want to get rich, it's going to lead to bad things. And we kind of know this, right? Like, on the extreme levels. Because first he says, a desire to be rich brings temptation. And that's pretty easy to see, right? Like everybody who's had some, you know, enough to eat, but they've tried to rob a bank. It's because they wanted to be rich. There was a temptation there. You know, it's like anybody that's, that's ever, if you know already, you know, you've had like weird desires. I, this is weird. And I don't know if I should admit this. Every now and then I'll have like this weird, like I should steal it. I stole something when I was four years old. It's the only time I've ever stolen anything, and my mom made me take it back. But every now and then, probably because I have a desire to be rich that I don't care to admit now that I've read you this verse, uh, I'm just like, what if I stole it? And then I'm like, what just popped into your head? And then I just go the other direction, and I don't steal it. I would like to make that crystal clear. But every now and then it happens, and the temptation's not there if I'm totally satisfied with what I have, is it? And, And then he says, A desire to be rich traps you. We know this because the people who start to get more rich always want to get more rich. I mean, I just saw a quote from some basketball player this week and he's making like 10 million a year or something this year and it's a pay cut for him. And he said, he said these words, I just don't know how it's going to be on my family. (laughs) Like, come on, right? And this is, if you've known, I mean, you know people, when it's extreme and their goal is to get rich, whether they've achieved it or not, there's a trap there because it becomes all about earning the next dollar. And and no matter how many dollars you have, you always want one more dollar. And some of you who want to be rich, you're not that far along yet, but, but you... I'm telling you that if you continue to have this desire to be rich, this is what Paul's saying, you're gonna get trapped by it. And then he says it it produces bad desires, changes our focus from God to stuff. That's what Paul's getting at. And so I just, let's get it out there. Goal number one for this, I mean, goal number one is not give more money to our church. Goal number one is for you to say, okay, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be rich. I want, here's the opposite side, to be satisfied with what I have right now. For those of you that already got rich, good job. You're ahead of us, you know, you win. Uh, but, but for all of us, just to say, this is what I have, 
And if I'm a Christian, I'll have food and water and shelter. God will provide that in one way or another. And I'm going to be content with what I have right now. I'd like to point out that people that are content are just content. And they're always content. Whether the money goes or whether the money comes or whether it's bad week you know, financially or a good week financially, they're always, they're always pretty content. But the people who are not content... You know this, you know this, you know people just like this. The people who are not content are always not content. They never have enough. They always want a little bit more. And so when it's bad or good or whatever, they're always dissatisfied with where they're at financially. And so I think we just got to make a choice. He doesn't really give us advice for how not to want to be rich in this passage, but I think that that right now you should probably just go, oh, that's in the Bible. Okay, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and, and, and I'll just do my best to be satisfied with what I have. And I'll tell you, it worked for me all week because it was like, I just, I had the feeling like it would be great to be rich. I just, I, for my, it was more for my dog than for me this week. I don't care about not having a car. We have great public transit in this city. Uh, I just, I'm thinking like all I want to do is fix it. I want to fix it. I want to fix it and I can't fix it. And all week, you know, you're preaching this sermon. It's just like, it's not about being rich. I'm just going to be here and I'll be satisfied here. And maybe it'll be a little harder for our decision making, but I'll be satisfied here. So that's what I want from you first, just to make a decision. Make a decision to say, I will be satisfied with what I have. And then Paul says the famous part. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That part's famous, and I want to, even though it's famous, want you to pay real close attention because the whole verse is something we already know, right? Like, we know that when you love money, when money is the desire of your heart, when it's your goal, when it's your aim, when all your efforts are going towards it, that it it is a root of all kinds of evil. I mean, people have done, done just about everything bad because they want to make a dollar, you, you could probably make a case that most of the grand kind of evils that are, that are existence in our world today, most of the grand evils that we look at and we see and we say that's bad and we read the news and, wish we say, and we say we wish something could happen, most of them probably at their very core, at their very source, uh, have a desire for money. Somebody loves money. Now think about that, think about that, because it's easy to look, you know, at, whoever you want to look at and say, well, they're causing this problem and it's them doing this and how dare them. And you can point at whatever organization. I'm not going to start saying organizations because then you're going to be like, oh, he's one of those guys and that's not the point. But, but you can pick the organization. You say, wow, that leads to some bad stuff. And what Paul is saying is that personally, personally, that some of the sin and some of the struggle and some of the disobedience to God is coming because you love money, perhaps. And so, if I could just say again, Paul says, be satisfied with what you have. And then he makes this statement, and you have, to, you have to take this seriously. He says, some people you go for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, this is going to cause an argument with my theologically minded people. And the question becomes, the people who have wandered from the faith, were they 
We've talked about this before. Were they Christians that have left the faith? Because it sure sounds like that. Or were these people not Christians, but they you know, kind of looked like Christians and they've wandered from the faith? And here's what I say every time I preach about this kind of controversy, this theological issue. I say, I don't care. It just doesn't matter because you end up in the same place either way. These people are not Christians, and they're not Christians, according to Paul, because they loved money, and they were not satisfied with what they had. This is big. This is big. If you're a Christian, you go, well, I like the things I have in Christianity. I like the peace and the joy and the hope that I have, and I like knowing that my sins are forgiven. And what Paul's saying is that if you love money, someday you may end up not believing those things, not having that hope, not having that joy anymore. And yeah, some people theologically will go, well, they were never Christians. <laughs> and some will go, well, they weren't really Christians. But either way, we're going to say you're not a Christian anymore or you're not a Christian. This is a big statement. There are very few things in the Bible where the biblical authors, God inspiring them, Say, by the way, this desire is going to take you totally away from Christianity. But loving money is one of them. And so I wonder this, I wonder, I mean, how many people aren't Christians simply because they love money too much? I think there's people who are Christians because they think if they show up to church, we're going to try to get all their money and we're going to preach about money every week. And, and, and they just like their money too much. And so they, they wander from the faith. They get further from accepting Jesus. And there are other people out there that have just said, you know, I, I, I just need this money and I want this money and I want to get richer. And, and I've seen this. You've seen this. And so, you know, they work a little more and then they start to work on Sundays, which I know some people have to work on Sundays. And, and I'm not saying that's a horrible thing or anything like that. But, but it's like, well, I'll just work also on Sunday so I can make an extra dollar and I'll take some shortcuts here and I'll leave that Bible study there and I won't hang out with those Christian friends because these people are going to move me forward in the faith. And they look back in five years and it's like, what happened to my faith? I used to have such a strong faith in God. And if you've ever said, if you've ever thought, I just want some more money, then you have a little bit of the seed of greed in you that could potentially, if it gets out of hand, lead you away from faith. And Paul wants you right now just to fix the issue. Just fix the issue and say, no matter how broke you are, no matter how many financial struggles you are having, no matter how many times you wanted to put scissors up, you're like, I don't have enough hands when we did our rock, paper, scissors prayer. You just need to be satisfied with what you have. That doesn't mean you don't work. That doesn't mean you live off the government because, well, I'm here and I'm, I'm hanging out. It doesn't mean that you, that you take shortcuts and you just say, well, I'll be lazy. I have a whole sermon series on laziness you can go listen to. But it means that you do the right thing at the right time at the right way. And you say, God, I'm doing my best to live for you. I'm trusting you to take care of the rest. I'll be satisfied right here with what I have right now. Because Paul gives us the anecdote in the next two verses, and I'll just read them and then finish. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, but you, man of God, flee from all this. I mean, flee from that desire for money and that love for money. Aren't we, isn't it not true of us? It's not true for you. 
perhaps you're a person who's learned to flee sexual morality and when you you know you think I should steal that you don't steal it you flee from that and and you, you know the big things that Christians actually talk about you you've learned to flee all those but he looks at Timothy this young pastor and he says flee from a desire for money not from money not from being rich not from having lots of stuff but free, flee from a desire for it and pursue righteousness godliness faith love endurance and gentleness Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul kind of gives us a choice. I think he gives Timothy a choice, and I think he gives us a choice. He says you, you can desire and pursue money in this life. You can make that the love of your life. Or if you want to be satisfied, you wake up and you say, God is my choice. I want to serve God. I want to do what God wants me to do. There doesn't seem to be much middle ground. You can have a life that is driven by a desire for money. Jesus even says that. You cannot serve both God and money. You can wake up every day and say, I want more money. I want money. This is The goal is to have enough and stuff and to you know, move myself forward financially. Or you can wake up and you can make a decision to pursue righteousness and godliness and love and endurance and gentleness, the things of God. And only one is ultimately going to produce gain in your life. And it's the latter, a desire to pursue God. And so what Paul gets at... It's new information to me. I'm sorry I didn't share it sooner. But what Paul gets at is that we should be satisfied with what we have and we should seek to glorify God. And so my hope, my hope is, this is just my hope, this is the hope for the sermon. This is why I thought it was so important to bring back and not move forward and forget that I got sick or whatever, is that you'll stop saying I want more money and you'll start saying I want more God. You'll stop saying, I, wanna, I want a little bit extra in the area of my finances. And you'll start saying, what can I do to get extra in the spiritual life that God has given me? And when you do that, you'll see gains that you've longed for for a long time. Will you pray with me? Lord, sorry that we didn't know this was in here. Um, I think it's probably ignored because there are some pastors that, that want their people to seek richness because it... It benefits the church financially. Um, and I pray we'd never be that church, God. There's plenty of those. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that, that right now you'd work in our hearts. It's not like the big-time emotional passage. It's not like a, uh, something that, that is exciting or anything like that, Lord, but I think, I mean, according to these words that you have given us in your word, it's pretty important that we learn to be satisfied with what we have in you. And so I pray that you take the hearts of everybody in front of me and behind me in the band and the people who are listening online or will listen online later, God, and I I just pray that you, Lord, would help us to find total satisfaction in you no matter what we have or we don't have financially. I pray that instead of seeking money, we would seek, Lord, righteousness and peace and kindness and love and gentleness in you. Instead of seeking another dollar or another hundred or another thousand or another million, I pray that we would seek, 
Lord, to bring you honor and glory and fame because we know that you deserve honor and glory and fame. I pray these things in your name. Amen.